Hello and welcome to Pound the Rock, an NBA podcast by the score. I'm your host, William Liu. I'm joined in studio by my co-host, Joe Wolfon. What up? Trip me up a little bit because uh, Cash is supposed to join us. I think he's running a little bit behind right now, um, but he will be here as well. Uh, and uh, we are going to talk about teams that have turned around um, after a slow start. There's a couple of teams, especially out west, um, that have really, really um, changed the outlook of their season after a bit of a slow start. Uh, and then that's what we're going to do in the first half of the podcast. In the second half of the podcast, we'll talk about teams sort of trending downwards um, and you know whether or not they should look to tank or maybe just pivot the direction of their season or maybe even get another piece. Who knows? Um, because there are some very concerning teams out west as well. But uh, let's start with the team that, um, you know, the game that we saw very closely yesterday, the Raptors versus Sixers. Me and Wolfon combined to write some takeaways. That game was really encouraging if you're a Raptors fan. But let's talk about it in terms of from a Sixers perspective. Because I think we've talked about the Raptors a lot in this podcast. Um, I think there was a lot of positives to take away for the Sixers as well. Just defensively, I thought they matched up pretty well. That no one to guard Kawhi, really. Uh, but the rest of the team, I think they did a pretty good job of. You know, Kyle Lowry only had like five points. Um and, you know, for the most part, the Sixers' defense was was solid. It's just, you know, the Raptors didn't hit some threes or whatever. But um, I, to be honest, I'm, I'm pretty impressed with the Sixers' team, especially the way they came out strong. I mean, the way they played together, Redick, Embiid, uh, Butler, it's a good team. It is, and I think, you know, defensively, Ben Simmons deserves a lot of credit. Uh, he doesn't get it very often. I think Embiid is seen as rightly so as being the anchor of that defense but uh, I thought Simmons did a great job uh, like on Pascal Siakam in the mm-hmm. post uh, he spooked Ibaka in the post as well and forced a travel on him um, he has that combination of kind of speed and mobility uh, but also strength to you know basically be able to defend multiple positions and I thought he was really good defensively in that game although he kind of neutralized offensively and yeah. I think Look, the big problem with the Sixers team is that they just don't really have a functional half-court offense. They're devastating in transition, but mm-hmm. in the half-court, they really get bogged down. And I think, you know, these are the same structural issues that we've been pointing to for a while now, but they can talent their way to a lot of wins over inferior competition. But as you saw, like against an elite defensive team like the Raptors, the fit is still imperfect and it creates some problems for them. And I just think... You know, until, first of all, you know, I don't know whether it's a question of, of just, like, getting more Butler and be pick and rolls. Uh, I think that probably is what but, they should do. Um, but, I mean, you saw the way that the Raptors were sort of playing that, right? Like, they they would bring a lot of ball pressure, uh, bring multiple defenders to the ball, um, ignore Embiid any time he popped to the three-point yep. line, and basically dare him to beat them with jump shots. And, you know, any time he got the ball in the post, they would, uh, like, bring a defender... Uh, to kind of dig down and force them to give it up. And, and their recoveries were really solid. So the Sixers weren't getting a lot in the half court in that game. And I don't know. I mean, like the Embiid, the uh, J.J. Redick dribble handoff is really, really effective. Probably the best in the game, two-man game-wise. It is. I just, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if that's enough, if that's kind of like your go-to play. Um, because I think teams ultimately are going to be able to sniff that out. And... Embiid had a bad game last night, and, and he's not going to yeah. play that poorly very often. But, you know, the fact that he was effectively neutralized by the tandem of Jonas Valanciunas and Serge Ibaka, and you could even throw Greg Monroe into that mix. He had, yeah. a, uh, like, a five-minute stretch where he held his own. Um, I think that definitely bodes well for the Raptors, and I think that's a good matchup for the Raptors, too. And, and that would concern me if I was a Sixers fan. Yeah, for sure. I mean, look, I think the Sixers kind of knew that this one move wasn't going to put them over the top just yet. They have some structural issues. I mean... 
Uh, again, going back to last night's game, they only got nine combined points from Mike Mascala and Wilson Chandler, who were both complete non-factors, to the point where the Raptors were putting Kyle Lowry, who's a six-foot guard, on uh, Wilson Chandler, who's 6'9", and it was completely fine because Chandler just couldn't do anything about it. That power forward spot for them is, is, is an issue. But I think, on the whole, when you take a step back, and obviously Toronto is like you know the class of the East right now, there's no question about it, but... The, the Sixers are 8-3 and three since they got Butler. Butler is um, averaging 20 points per game, shooting 50, 48, 86 from the field. Um, you know, that is, like, he's just he's just really taken over when the team needs it. But for the most part, he's really playing his role. All that, you know, talk and concern about sort of his personality, about coming to a new team, a young team especially, after what happened with the Timberwolves, it hasn't really translated. I think Butler has been a great positive leader, and he's been quite patient with this team. Um you know, he's let Simmons continue to do his thing. Simmons is still averaging about 16, 8, and 8 since uh, Butler got there, which is exactly what he was doing before that anyway. And B scoring has come down a little bit, but I think that helps. I just think that um, in terms of the long term, I, I think this year the Sixers are going to make their run or whatever. They're probably not going to make it to the finals um, because they just don't have enough cohesion. They don't have enough depth. But I think in the offseason, they really have to look at this team and really consider what are they going to be in terms of identity because Simmons is kind of awkward, right? And again, maybe it's just influenced by the fact that Simmons had seven turnovers last night and he completely just had no idea what to do against a bigger defender like Kawhi who, you know, has shut down some great players in the past. We've seen him shut down LeBron. But, um, you know, Simmons is just awkward. And a lot of the system that you, you mentioned, like the fact that they have to run so many dribble handoffs and stuff, like... Yeah, that's because Simmons is not a good half-court player. He's great in the open court, like one of the best. But when you get him in a half-court setting, because he can't shoot whatsoever, he still hasn't taken a shot in his career outside of 21 feet. Um, you know, it always brings def- more defense, defensive attention in the middle of the paint. And I think that forces Embiid to sort of get his own offense in very un- you know spectacular ways. I think Embiid, if you put him in a pick-and-roll, he should be phenomenal. But they can't run pick-and-roll when you can help off of Chandler, when you can help off of Simmons. There's just too many bodies in the paint for Embiid to thrive in. So, it, the the construction of this team is kind of awkward. I think long term out the long term outlook is gonna be kind of tricky. Yeah, and I do think the biggest issue there is Simmons, right? I think the fit between Butler and Embiid can be pretty seamless. Yeah, for sure. I, I just think Simmons, for as talented a player as he is, he's a wonderful passer. I, I as I just said, he's a good defender. Um, but I, I, there, there needs to be a team construction that is basically focused on like building around him. And you look at what Giannis has become in Milwaukee, mm-hmm. the, the way that they have finally maximized his talents is by you know building a team where he's surrounded by spot-up shooters um, and guys who can defend and you know like the roster makes sense around him. Whereas like in Philly, it's uh, just more of a, of, a, of a hodgepodge, I think, where yeah. Um, Simmons isn't really be, being given that space to thrive. And, like, he's not Giannis, right? Like, he is not that physically imposing. No. He doesn't have the scoring touch either. And that's one of the issues, right? Like, it, coming into the season, I wrote a piece about how Ben Simmons doesn't need to develop a three-point shot. Because, you know, all summer it was the, you know, shoot it through you coward jokes or whatever. But, like, I didn't think he needed to develop a three-point shot. But he needed to improve in other areas of the game. And one of them was, you got to develop a post game. If you can't score from the post and you can't shoot from the perimeter, then what are you really doing? Um, and then also, you know, hit some free throws. And I think his free throws are a little bit better. It's hard to really tell because he doesn't really get there that much. Um, but, like, there is no post game, right? He doesn't – you can't consistently find a way for Simmons to score. And if that's the case for your main primary playmaker, then, 
he does like I don't know. He has like some functionally Rondo similar like s qualities, which is it's a joke. But I mean, like seriously, like functionally in a half court, he's kind of similar to the Rondo type. But if you take Rondo, if yeah. you take peak Rondo, yeah, and you make him six foot ten, yeah, and basically give him the ability to guard fours, yeah. to guard fives, you know, For sure. to, to guard he's basically anybody Rondo. on the floor, that's a really, really, really good player. Yeah. Um, and I think it's just a question of, of finding a roster that fits. And I, I, don't know, mm-hmm. I don't know if that's going to happen in Philadelphia. You know, as long as Embiid and Butler are both there, I think that's going to be really tough. Yeah. So, yeah, I think, you know, we, you and I were talking about this off air. I, I feel like the Sixers are running out of cards to play. A especially bit. if, you know, they max out Butler this offseason. And they're thinking about, you know, potentially maxing out Simmons after that they're looking at like over a hundred million dollars being committed to Embiid Simmons and Butler and if that core trio is not entirely functional then Mm -hmm. I think you're in a bit of trouble so I I do think they might have to start considering trading Simmons Mm -hmm. Uh, and I I think he still would have a ton of trade value around the league he's still super young and obviously very very talented he would um, have like a top twenty trade value in the NBA right now. There's, there's no question about that. There might even be higher than that. That might be you know underselling it. It's just like a the fit is kind of awkward. You know what I mean? And I think really with the Sixers is really about a timeline. Like what is the timeline? Are they going to take this young team and let them grow? Like if they never if they never traded for Butler and they kind of just rode, took their lumps this year, then you know um, it's not an issue, right? But because you know they did trade for Butler, it does. And because Embiid got this good this quickly, like he's an MVP level candidate right now. Um, you know, they have to kind of speed things up. Although, the Markel Fultz thing, very strange. Uh, I, I, I'm, we're not going to be doctors. We're not pretending to be doctors or anything. But from what I looked up of thoracic outlet syndrome, um, it's it sounds essentially like carpal tunnel, except in your, sh- like, chest and shoulder area. Which is, I guess you can, that can kind of explain the difficulties. The only question I have with that is, how come he looks so smooth shooting mid-range jump shots off the pull-ups? But then when he's wide open at the free throw line or at the three-point line, he looks like he has this condition. You know what I mean? I think... I wouldn't say he's looked entirely smooth shooting it from mid-range. He's, it, okay. he's looked definitely way more fluid. Like, it, it yeah, is yeah, one com- solid motion, and there's no you know humongous hitch in that shot. But uh, I think there's possibly an element where... You know, you can play through it when there, there's adrenaline pumping or when it's like the speed of the game mm-hmm. is kind of taking over and you're just using muscle memory, basically. But then suddenly when you're standing there at the free throw line and you have to think about it, uh, and if there's pain, it, it starts creeping back in. And I also think that, I, you know, just because it is a physical issue, that doesn't mean that that's not creating a mental issue as well, right? I, I think um, there could be two parts of that equation still. And I mean, look, I just hope that he gets it sorted out. I don't, yeah, for sure. You know, I don't expect him to just come back from this and suddenly be shooting the way that he was in college. Mm-hmm. But if you know, this could be a step in the right direction at least. You know, you get I a really diagnosis so. and you uh, work toward attacking that problem mm-hmm. from a physical perspective. And if there are mental hurdles to clear after that, then at least uh, you know, if you're able to sort out the physical stuff, then you're in a better position to kind of tackle the mental element. So. I don't know. I mean, I, it's just impossible to say at this point what's yeah. going to happen here. And I think, I guess the most interesting question right now is is whether the Sixers are committed to working through this with him mm-hmm. or whether they're ready to kind of cut bait and move on and see what they can get for him now. Yeah. And again, that goes back to the issue of timeline. 
All right, moving on. We're going to talk about the Timberwolves, who are 9-3 and three since trading the aforementioned Jimmy Butler. And joining us to talk about that is Cash. Cash, fashionably late as usual. What's going on? Had some CMS issues today, boys. Yes, these are the issues we deal with on a daily basis. Um, okay, the Timberwolves. They have really turned it around. They've gotten um, tremendous production out of Robert Covington, who was the main piece coming back from that Butler deal. He has completely, not him single-handedly, but the culture in... Minnesota has completely changed. Everyone looks so much happier. Carl Anthony Towns is smiling all the time and not being called soft for it. Uh, they're playing great. They've got wins over Houston, San Antonio, New Orleans, and Portland, who are usually, uh, can, you would think that those four teams are better than Minnesota. But right now, Minnesota is starting to make the playoffs. And when you look at the defensive um, changes that they've had, uh, these numbers are only as recent as last Friday, which is when I wrote this column. But... They have improved from 30th in defensive rating to second um, after the trade. 28th in points allowed before the trade to first in points allowed uh, after the trade. 25th in paint points allowed. Now they're first. And, of course, opponent field goal percentage. Opponents used to be shooting 47.5%. That's down to 42%, which is the best mark in the league. I mean, how good is this Timberwolves team? Is this real or is this like a mirage? Because they look phenomenal on paper. The turnaround in part is real. Okay. I, I don't think they're as good as they have been during this stretch. For one thing, they haven't played anyone especially good. I mean, you could say yeah. the Rockets, but obviously they haven't been themselves this year. So A couple of these teams we're going to mention in the second half of the show. Yeah, so so it's tough to gauge, but the defensive turnaround is, is real. Like, they have looked so, so much better at that end of the floor. Covington has been the biggest driver of that success, and he's just been an absolute revelation, and he's just... I, you know, I'm writing a column about this that is going to come out either today or tomorrow. But he has given their defense, I think, a completely different shape where they are more aggressive, mm-hmm. um, you know, bringing more ball pressure, uh, sending extra bodies and kind of trusting their rotations a little bit more. And I don't know what it is, but everybody on that team has basically been playing with more energy and more activity at the defensive end. Like Carl um, Anthony Towns, before the Butler trade, his defensive field goal percentage at the rim was 61%. Since then, 48%. Taj Gibson, before the trade, 77% defensive field goal percentage at the rim. Since the trade, 53%. So uh, they've, they've gotten great uh, like backline defense and rim protection. And Covington has done a great job kind of fun- funneling ball handlers toward uh, the help. Like They're turning teams over more. Everything mm-hmm. they're doing uh, is working at that end of the floor. And... It's not like you watch it, and it's not like it's the product of luck, really. Mm-hmm. I think in that Rockets game, there was a little bit of that where the Rockets just kind of stopped hitting threes in the second half. But for the most part, like... Well, the Rockets are known to do that. <laughs> and I think, you look, if you, if you look at the overall numbers since the trade, like, it's not like the Wolves' opponents are shooting poorly on open threes or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that defensive turnaround is real, and... Overall, I don't know. Like, I don't think they're going to be hard-pressed to make the playoffs still mm-hmm. just because there are so many good teams in the West. And, you know, as far as their true talent level, they're not going to win uh, 75% of their games the rest of the season. But they're definitely going to be in that mix. And I just think their roster makes a little bit more sense now, now that they can actually run their offense through Towns and, you know, have a guy like Covington who is a spot-up threat and mm-hmm. is not going to dominate the ball at all. Um I, I like the way they're playing. Like, they're playing hard, and they're playing smart, and they're fun to watch. 
Yeah, Covington looks like a legitimate defensive player of the year candidate. And the one thing I'll add, too, is I know you mentioned like they haven't really beaten many good teams. The thing is, they, they were 4-9 and nine before this stretch. So it almost like doesn't matter who they're beating. They just needed to start winning and, at the very least, beat the teams yeah. that, from a talent perspective, they should be beating. And they're finally doing that. And then even like... Portland, San Antonio, I know, is struggling. So is Houston. But those three wins, like beating Portland, San Antonio, and Houston in this stretch, those are important, very important wins if they actually are going to legitimately yeah. contend to get back in the playoffs because they're going to be fighting with all those teams. So I, I do think there's um, – they don't look like world beaters per se, but I think it's just like a, mm-hmm. a very crucial stretch for them to prove that they are at least for real in getting back into the race. And the big thing too, in addition to covering these defense, Carl Anthony Towns is finally – being yep. spotlight like is finally being given the platform that he should have always had in this offense right like jimmy butler is a great player if you're talking like pure transcendent offensive talent no one the timberwolves have had comes close to carlini towns at least in the towns era yeah you of know course. wiggins is bricking all over the place even in this run wiggins has still been pretty terrible other than his, the last game i think derrick rose obviously is having a out of nowhere great yep. offensive season but still everything should flow through towns and they finally get it yeah, for sure. And I think the one portion where it's obviously really difficult to m- measure is sort of um, cohesiveness and chemistry. And, like, if you look at this team, obviously with everything they went through in the Butler thing, like, everyone got embarrassed. We talked about this on the podcast. But, like, the whole organization got dragged through the mud because of how messy that Butler situation was. And, like, now that he's gone, you just can't really quantify that in numbers really just how much happier everyone is right like the mood is so much lighter the stakes aren't nearly as high um and you know there's just less agendas on the team and when you look at it you're getting two players from philadelphia who were starters for a playoff caliber team who just were basically deemed as surplus to requirements so it's like okay cool so you know covington is really now very motivated to play i mean Saric has, has still hasn't really found a shot but he's been pretty active defensively doing his best for the second unit for minnesota who really needed some you know uh boost off the bench outside from um rose but like it's just everyone is on the same page and then all of a sudden tom Thibodeau can just stop focusing on being a gm and just be a coach i think this team fits his identity well in terms of look you have a guy who can set the tone for you like covington um you know he's basically taking up that butler role obviously not with the same extent on offense but defensively he's extending Thibodeau's message and this is that's good I'm really happy for the Timberwolves really because it's so easy for a team to um, slip into sort of irrelevance after trading their star player and they haven't done that they've been very resilient and and I'm I'm personally cheering for them to uh, continue it um the Lakers let's talk about the Lakers they are 13 and 4 since starting out 2 and 5 everyone was talking about how it gets dark early out west or whatever um no the Lakers are you know, pretty damn good apparently. Thirteen and four. LeBron has basically decided to take control of the team. Part of it's coincided with uh, Rondo not being in the lineup, which I don't think it's a coincidence. I don't think Rondo is necessarily that great in terms of you know just setting things up for the Lakers. Aside from pushing the pace, he's not really a contributor. Um, and I think more of point LeBron, more of LeBron taking control of the Lakers is what this team needs. We just saw it last night. He had twenty points in the fourth quarter. Was insane against the uh, San Antonio Spurs. Um, and yeah, this Lakers team, I don't know. They look talented. They look talented. I mean, do you have any concerns with the Lakers right now, um, you know, that you had when they were losing? Or have those things have been erased? I, it, big picture, I have the same concerns we've had all year. Um, their D is still shaky. They don't have enough shooters. 
um, JaVale McGee's starting to look like JaVale McGee yeah. in the sense of, like, he's starting to look winded as we thought he would with these heavy minutes. Um, but look, like, LeBron equalizes all. And you just yeah. see that game last night against San Antonio, like, it's so cliche to say, but he was everywhere and he was doing everything. Yeah. Like, on the defensive end, when LeBron wants to care about defense, you remember how good of a defender he is. Yep. Um, he's grabbing defensive rebounds and, like, he's at half court running a fast break and the rest of the, like, nine guys on the court are still, you know, 10 feet behind him. He's jamming everything. He's, like, taking everything hard to hold. When he wants to go like that, no one's touching him. And I think, you know, they the Lakers still have enough talent that, with peak LeBron, they'll be fine. They'll make the playoffs. You know, they'll be a threat in the playoffs because we've seen what LeBron can do. But if we're talking about, like, these teams as legit contenders, then I still have the same concerns about the Lakers because they're not contending for a title with this makeup. Right. And they're also in, the, like, a bit of a soft stretch of schedule right now. That's true. So I don't want to overreact to uh, the nice run that they've put together. Um I don't know. I, I think the biggest question to me is still whether they decide to make a move this season or whether they're really content to wait until next summer. And I guess it's interesting just because after the Warriors, like the West really does look pretty wide open. And so there is a chance that they could get to the conference finals, even if they don't make a move because LeBron really is that good. And I do think the rest of the roster has started to coalesce a little bit. I think the Chandler addition has helped them out a lot. Like They really just needed another big body in the middle and a guy who could rebound yeah. and protect the rim a little bit. They were literally playing a G-leaguer Yeah, and in crunch time. <laughs> I, I just think you know it, it didn't even need to be anybody particularly exceptional. Like Chandler has just filled that role really capably, and they yeah. haven't needed much more from him than to just kind of um, – just be there in the middle, you know, rebound the hell out of the basketball and, and, you know, provide a little bit of resistance at the rim. Uh, I think Kuzma started to play a lot better. Josh Hart's been great. Um, Ingram is still, you know, up and down, but he has his moments. He just struggles um, to play with LeBron, but without LeBron, he's pretty good. Yeah. It's and weird. I think, you know, Lonzo's had his moments too. Like there are yeah. guys who are capable of stepping up from night to night. There hasn't been a ton of consistency there, yeah, yeah, yeah. but but LeBron has provided that consistency, you right. know, and and he's just been so good for the last couple of weeks that it hasn't really mattered. I, I just I think it's going to be hard for him to sustain that, you know, if he doesn't get any more help. And I mean, we'll see. Like he he keeps exceeding my expectations every single season. Uh, you know, played every single game last year, led the league in minutes, and and still managed to have a ton left in the tank for the playoffs. So. Uh, I, I, you know, I wouldn't count this team out, and I, I do think that they are capable of making it to the conference finals just on LeBron's back. Um, but like Cash was saying, I mean, they there is still a limit to what they can achieve uh, with the roster that they currently have in place. Yeah, for sure. I think look, the Lakers' main priority this year is to uh, make a bit of a serious p- playoff push. You know, obviously don't ex- they don't expect to win the title this year, but you know, make a deep enough playoff push such that it makes the team more attractive and also, you know, make the young guys look good because those are ultimately the guys that are going to be used as trade chips for whoever, you know, whichever star becomes available. Um, And I I think in terms of the young guys, part of the reason why the young guys look better is because last year, I mean, they're they're still inconsistent, right? They have some games where they're phenomenal. There's some games where they're really low. But the thing is, in years past, because they only had the young guys, the games where they were really low, they would just lose those games flat out. They get blown out. This year, because LeBron's there, they're just kind of like be consistently good every night. There are some nights LeBron doesn't even try hard, and he's still very good. And then when he does try hard, it's like last night. He just explodes. Um, but LeBron's so steady, and LeBron is such a floor for this team 
that it makes the young guys look better because all of a sudden you're only really looking and celebrating the young guys when they're having great games and you're not so much fixating on them when they have a bad game. It's you know, it's 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 been nice to have LeBron on the team is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Decent addition. Decent. <laughs> it's a hot take. Yeah. But I, I would say I, I don't know like how much trade value do you think do you think those young guys are ultimately going to have? You know, and and are they are they making a mistake in kind of mm-hmm. not trading those guys right now when their value might be at its highest? Like, is yeah, I think is their value going right? to depreciate over time? Are, are you thinking about Ingram? Because I think my my main issue with the Lakers players is like they're all clearly good players. Like all four of these guys that we're talking about: Hart, Kuzma, Lonzo, um, you know, Ingram. They're all good players, and, and teams would love to have those guys. They're all rotation pieces, but there isn't quite the star quality, that star potential that is really what people go for in trades. And, you know, out of all those guys, I think it's probably Ingram. But, you know, with LeBron around, he might not be able to showcase as much of his game, especially since it seems like Ingram just can't really play well against uh, alongside LeBron. I think both of them are kind of overlapping in that point forward role. Yeah, but I don't know. They can work around that by staggering their minutes. I think, you know, Ingram yeah. playing more with the bench units and handling the ball a little bit more is, is a fine look. Uh, I just think, you know, if again, I don't know what the details were or who mm-hmm. said no to what, but if they had an opportunity to trade for Kawhi and the sticking point was putting Ingram in the deal, yeah, I think if they could go back and do it again, like if, if they had Kawhi right now, we would be talking about them as, oh a, as a threat to topple the Warriors, I think. Well, they would have two of the best three players in the NBA. Yeah. Um, wow, bold. Let's, uh, let's quickly talk about the Mavericks before we uh, had to break. The Mavericks are 9-3 and three since starting out 3-8. and eight. Uh, And quite honestly... I'm really happy about the Mavericks because I thought last year they were in so many games and towards the end, you could tell that it hurt Rick Carlisle because he knew he had to tank the game to get Luka Doncic and it's completely worth it. They got Luka Doncic. He's great. Even though they only got the fifth pick, the teams ahead of them were pretty dumb. Okay, so they got Luka Doncic, so everything worked out. But last year, they were in so many close games, and then they would tank. They would put in like Dorian Finney-Smith and Salah Mejri, and like they would somehow find a way to lose the game. This year, because they don't have their pick, you could get to see like Rick Carlisle's full um, brilliance as a coach. And I think Carlisle is one of the best coaches in the league. He's always been respected that way. And this year, really seeing it. Look at the talent on the bench. It's not like these guys are established guys. He's relying on Devin Harris, who signed in Dallas for like the 15th time now. Um, J.J. Barea is having a great year. Maxi Kleba is like apparently the world's most intimidating rim protector. Um He's just getting incredible production on this team. And, uh, of course, you throw Doncic on top of all of that. They have a star player they can play through now. You saw it against Houston, the way he was able to close that game out and just completely kill the Rockets. I mean, the Mavs are fun. They're a very fun team to watch. Yeah, they are. And, like, um, you know, you mentioned last year kind of being weird because Rick Carlisle was, like, bringing them to the ed- like yeah. the precipice and then they'd kind of fold down the stretch. Rick Carlisle does not lead a lot of talent to compete nightly. Yeah. in the NBA and he's got enough talent to do that now and I don't think they're gonna I don't think they'll survive the long slog of the season in the West but I mm-hmm. think like they can hang around the race for the majority of the season I think Doncic is really really good and really yep. smart he's a pick and roll maestro and he's got a nice pick and roll partner with DeAndre Jordan they're gonna get Dirk back hopefully at some point and we don't know obviously how valuable he'll be but like it's Dirk he can at least yeah rain one leg only threes. gonna help your team yeah um, when he gets back, so yeah, I think they're legit as what they are—like a slightly above five hundred to five hundred-ish team that can hang yeah. around the playoff race. It's just a question of whether their bench can keep this up. I think because as good as Doncic has been, and he's been great, 
like if you look at what is propelling their success, <laughs> it's been the bench. Yeah. Maxi, like, Kle- Maxi Kleba, 13.3 net rating. They, yeah. they are 20 points per 100 possessions better with him on the floor. Uh, Dwight Powell has been equally oh, yeah, great. great yeah. uh, and J.J. Barea in his, what, age 34 season, somehow having a career year, averaging 21 and 10 per 36 minutes. Like it honestly feels like JJ Barea could play another ten years. It's ridiculous. Like <laughs> he's, not lose he's any still just cooking guys off the dribble. Like they can't figure out how to stay in front of him. Yeah, he's but he's so been like, he was good last year too. Like it's not like like yeah. from Barea's perspective, it's not like he's having this um, crazy season where like there's definitely regression. But like he was really good last year. I know. It's and just, they would just it, pull just him every time me. they got close. This, this, this like conventional wisdom is if you're an undersized point guard, like your prime is short, and there's basically mm-hmm. nothing you can do after you turn 30 years old. And here's Berea, who's what like five ten maybe. Yeah, four years. Like in his in his age 34 season, just still giving dudes the business. Like yeah. what a season! And I, I mean, I think I don't know. I don't know if if the bench can continue this level of production. Right. Um, but. The, that team has some depth, man, and the, they like, do. They, they have a lot of good players. Even if you know, I, I don't know if uh, you know Doncic is you know ready to be like a superstar type of player this year, but he is already the best player on that team, and he's surrounded by solid complementary pieces. You know, Harrison yeah. Barnes, despite being overpaid, I think is still a really solid player. He's integrating himself a lot more, and he's had to do a lot less play creation now that Doncic is around, and that's always been the weakest part of uh, Barnes's game. He's much better playing yeah. off of someone else. Like as a complimentary piece yeah. with the Warriors, he was awesome. And, yeah. he, and he's been well, good. Minus the finals. Well. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, but, otherwise, you're, you're right. Like he has a lot of those secondary skills where like if you're, he's almost like Rudy Gay in a way, right? Like Rudy Gay wasted so much of his career basically trying to be the number one guy when he really should have been the second or third guy. And he really found success in Sacramento of all places by basically playing power forward and sort of playing off of other people. Off of and, Boogie. Yeah. And like that's basically where Barnes is. You know, yeah. I'm happy for Barnes. And um, shouts to DeAndre shooting like 76% from the free throw yeah. line randomly. He could he could I'm really do it. Me, now. Like it doesn't get much scarier than Doncic DeAndre pick and rolls. Like that's a pretty deadly yep. Yep. go-to. That's why they got DeAndre. They got to give Doncic a solid base to play with. Although that whole offense is pretty good at hitting the roll, man. You look at Dwight Powell for example. There's no way he should be shooting like 65% all season. Um but yeah, the maps are fun. Uh, we got to give them a little bit of love. We're going to take a quick break right here. And when we come back, we'll talk about teams heading in the wrong direction. Hey, listeners, a friendly reminder to rate, review, and subscribe to Pound the Rock on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. We also urge you to check out our other shows on the Scores Podcast Network. For baseball fans, there's Expand the Zone, Sweeper Keeper, Covers the World of Soccer, and there's the Fantasy Football Podcast with Justin Boone. Please also download the Score app, where you can find all our feature content, live scores, and the most up-to-date breaking news. Thank you, and back to Pound the Rock. Welcome back to the second half of Pound the Rock. Still here with Cash and Wolfon. We're going to talk about teams trending downward, and there is no team that is more concerning to me personally than the Spurs, who look like a team that has completely lost their identity, okay? They have the second-worst defense in the NBA, and there was a stat that was put out there, but I think uh, Tim Reynolds of the Associated Press, who pointed out how in Greg Popovich's first, I don't know, 1,700 games, they had only been blown out by 30-plus points five times. And then they got blown out by 30-plus points three times in the last week and a half. All right, So the Spurs are an issue. They have issues. They can't shoot threes at all, even though when they do shoot threes, they shoot a good percentage. They never vary. They just never shoot them. 
and actually attempt them. Um, they got the second worst point differential in the West, uh, which is even worse than the Kings, man. Um, and, and quite honestly, if you look at the Spurs, there's a reasonable case to be made that they should maybe consider pivoting and trying to get some future assets, right? Because when they traded Kawhi, they decided we're going to be competitive. And then you come into this season and you look at the way the Spurs have been. They've had some close wins and it's really propped up their record, but the numbers don't lie. This team is not good and they are not equipped to play modern basketball. And this is their chance. They have to eventually decide, are we going to maximize the last basically one or two years of Greg Popovich's coaching career by giving him available players or whatever or are we going to try to pivot towards the future because this team looks weird man it's just not the spurs they look like another team this is like it, they don't have any spursian identity they don't pass they don't defend that's weird the spurs are done the the spurs we knew were done like there's we talked about this before this team this franchise had a legitimately like transcendent like 1a championship type player on their roster from like the day they drafted David Robinson, yeah, and then Duncan took the mantle, and then Kawhi Leonard was that player for them until he got hurt. They don't have that now. As good as Demar Derozan and Marcus Aldridge are, they're, we know they're not those kind of players. No. This team is—they're slow. They don't shoot enough threes, as you mentioned. Most of their offense comes from the mid-range. It's not a recipe for success. Um, their defense is terrible, but that shouldn't surprise anyone because I don't care how good a coach is. Yeah, no coach is getting this roster to defend well. And yep. it's not necessarily an effort thing. They just don't have good defenders. Like, with Deontay Murray out of the lineup, Jakob yeah. Pertl is probably his team's best defender. It's a joke. Yeah. They don't have enough defense. They don't have enough shooting. And this There's, is with DeMar playing out of his mind. This is a really good year by DeMar DeRozan. And he it has doesn't tapered matter. off slowly, though, since the yeah. hot start. Like, he's still been good. Don't yeah, get me wrong. Sure. But he's tapered off. And, no, I'm, I'm with you, man. I think if the Spurs want to be, like, prudent and, and put themselves in the best position going forward to try to maybe get one of those players again – or to get back in the mix, like, mm-hmm. I think they should pivot toward a rebuild. I just don't see where they go from here, though, because do any of those players on the roster have trade value? I think you can move Rudy Gay for a more useful thing, because I think Rudy is on a very cheap contract, and he's he's really been good. Cha- he's changed his, yeah, exactly. He's but been you're also not getting good. a first-rounder for Rudy Gay. You're not, but you could get something for him, right? And the thing is, really, you could get something for DeMar DeRozan. That's the thing, right? Because and when they traded... Um, away Kawhi, they did get a future first-round pick from the Raptors. But the way, the way the Raptors are playing, that's going to be like a 30th pick, right? So unless they get another Tony Parker, that's going to be tough. Um, chances are not good that that's going to turn into a good player. Jacoperto is solid, but he's not really a starting caliber player just yet, and the Spurs clearly don't feel that way about him anyway. They never play him until, you know, you know, Pau Gasol got hurt. But, I mean, like, they basically decided we want to stay competitive, and they got the best player available, and that was DeMar. But if they decide that this team is not competitive, they should really consider basically shifting more uh, towards the future because they do have a couple prospects. And really, with the way this team is shaped right now, they can be in a good position to get a good pick. That's the thing. And this is a very talented draft coming up. And, you know, if you had to take a one-year loss, basically, to go recoup some value, I mean, like, look what look what happened with Duncan, right? I mean, they're not going to number one pick. There's no Tim Duncan in this draft, but... Um, you know, there's a chance if you, if you wanted to, you could flip DeMar for some future assets. But uh, I don't know. It's hard to do that with Popovich on the outs too, right? Yeah, and I just uh, – I don't know, man. Like, they quietly haven't even really drafted that well in the last few years. And I think that's yeah. hurt well, them I mean, more part, than people. It's injuries as a caveat. Yeah, like I'm, Lonnie Walker hasn't played this year, so yeah. who knows? He might be somebody. And, and DeJounte Murray was clearly mm-hmm. on the upswing before he got hurt. But 
I mean, Derek White, I, I don't know if he is like a, no. a, a rotation piece going forward. He's been fine. Uh, Kyle Anderson was okay, but then they ultimately had to let him go. Um, Why do they have to let – that's also an issue. Like, the Spurs are in this position because they just kind of kept trying to zig – when the whole, like when the whole team was trending in one direction, and it's like, man, you can't. They look at this roster; they have no wings in the NBA right now. You need a lot of wings to succeed. You look at all the top teams; it's been that way for like four or five years now, right? Wings win in the NBA. Look at the Spurs' wings. Who are their wings? Demar, okay, all right. Rudy Gay, who's yeah, right. And then like who else? Quincy Pondexter and like Dante Cunningham. And then past that, it's just like only centers and only point guards. That doesn't work. And- Imagine the social media wrath of DeMar DeRozan if he gets traded. <laughs> if after Mr. Loyalty and all the credit oh to him for God. it. But like seriously, imagine yeah. he gets traded twice in the span of less than a year and then has to watch Masai Jerry win executive of the year. I feel like whatever, it's happened to him now, he'd be prepared for it if it happens to him again. I would hope so at least. Well, but Kyle Lowry's getting another late night phone call. I do think it's weird, like, the players that the Spurs chose to prioritize, right? Like, a couple of summers ago, they had cap space. Yep. They had a really, really good team. There was talk about them going after Chris Paul. Yep. And instead, they devoted that cap space to, like, Patty Mills. Pau Gasol. Pau Gasol. And I guess maybe just those two guys. And Rudy Gay, I guess. But Yeah. uh, And and Rudy Gay turned out to be the best signing of the bunch. Like, I, I... and then they again, you're, like you're saying, they let Kyle Anderson walk. Who, I, you know, he's not going to be an elite player, but yeah. he was still an important guy for them. Like he, he was a creator. Like yep. he played solid defense. They um, threw Danny Green away for free for no reason. Really. Honestly, like I, I just think they maybe they had less leverage in those negotiations than I realized. But yeah. they needed to make the salaries match. But they could have thrown Patty Mills in there instead of Danny, uh, instead of Danny yeah. Green, um, and. So now it's in, they're in this place where they have all this money committed to Gasol and mm-hmm. Mills. And, like, it's just – it's a weird roster that, that, that does not have any real defensive talent. And maybe this whole thing looks different if Murray was healthy and if he was playing the kind of defense he was playing last season and if the jump shot came around like people were saying it was going to this year. But, again, like, their offense is – it's getting by. Like, it's been middle of the pack despite yeah. being totally anachronistic. They've been fine offensively. They just can't stop anybody. And yeah. I don't see that problem getting any better, given their personnel. Yeah, and look, the last thing I will mention is, like, what's up with the medical staff, man? Because they <laughs> misdiagnosed Pau Gasol. Somehow he had to get a second opinion to find that he had a fractured foot. Okay, this is Pau Gasol, who has a history of foot injuries. He would know if his foot is not right, man. So, like, he had to get a second opinion to get that fractured foot identified. Danny Green... Play through a tore groin last year for the whole season. At the year end, they did a physical, and they're like, "Oh, by the way, Danny, you have a tore groin." And it's like, oh, "Okay, cool. Uh, why didn't you, why did I know about this? And why did I gut it out for the whole season to do that and just to lose in the first round?" And then Kawhi Leonard, the whole thing with you know that put an onus on like does put the spotlight on the Spurs of like you know what's going on with the medical staff. They just couldn't agree on what his injury was, and then it ultimately led to Kawhi leaving the team. Which, by the way, in that 2017 summer when they had all that money, they could have just offered Kawhi that Supermax. But then they were like, hold on, we'll wait. We'll go get Chris Paul and then we'll see. Because we can just, if we sign Chris Paul first, then you could, you know, finesse the cap a little bit. Instead, what do they do? Kawhi's gone. Yeah, that it's not a good look on their medical staff no. right now in the last, like, year. Uh, it's not a good look on the organization in general. You know, an organization that was bulletproof for decades. Um and on that note, shameless plug, go check out. I put up a, a feature on Kawhi's first third yep. of the season and yep. just talking to, like, players and coaches that have already matched up with him this season. And 
to a man. They are like Kyrie Irving, Jimmy Butler, Ben Simmons, um, some coaches. Yeah, Kevin Durant. And like to a man, all of these guys say like he's back with some of them, including like Eric Spolstra told me that he thinks this is Eric Spolstra coached the game squad when he's winning finals MVP and told me that he thinks Kawhi Leonard is right now playing the best basketball of his life. Well, there you go. It's getting uh, harder to argue. I mean, that that Sixers game was one of the best games that I've seen him play. Yeah, like as far as two way performances go, it doesn't get much better than that. He's in two games against Ben Simmons. He's forced eighteen turnovers. Yeah, it's, I, so it's I actually crazy. went back and watched. Obviously, like not every single one yeah. was Kawhi, but still, in like ten, I counted at least ten. Yeah, that Kawhi Leonard had some part in forcing yeah. the turnover. That's insane. It is. Um, quickly, let's talk about the Blazers, who are three and eight after starting out ten and three. We were all gassing them up. We're like, hey, look at this team, resilient, you know, whatever. They they got in uh, Nick Stauskas and Seth Curry, and it's 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 all good. Um, their defense has completely fallen apart. They've given up 118 points per game uh, over the last 11 games. That's the third worst mark over that time. Zach Collins has kind of tailed off. He's averaging like five points a game. He's not really playable anymore. And it really is just the same deal as last year. They got two great players, and then they got Yusuf Nurkic, who's good, and everyone else is just – completely inconsistent and they can't really rely on them and all of a sudden they're not defending again which is just such a concern for the Blazers who you got to feel like after all this time you try to do everything you can with this roster and it's always one issue it's either the offense sucks or the defense sucks and they can never get both working at the same time and that's why they're where they are they're probably going to be around 50 wins and you know a first round out again but maybe the kryptonite for Portland was getting off to a good start because they're they're traditionally like they get off to yeah. these slow starts. They go on some crazy tear in January yeah. and like find their way to forty five plus wins. Like this is the first time in a while they actually got off to a great start. Maybe maybe they're not used to playing from ahead. Yeah, but I I do still think they'll have one of those mid season runs, and I okay. do still think that they will be in the playoff picture. Even though I said before the season that I expected them to fall out. Um. Yeah, I think it's disappointing, and maybe we bought into them a little bit too much because their bench was exceeding expectations, and they were riding guys that we probably shouldn't have expected to sustain their hot starts. Um, I have been disappointed with the fact that Collins has fallen off a bit, but I yeah, still really do believe in his defensive upside. And, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Their depth, I guess, is an issue, as, at least as far as, as like top talent goes. You know what I yeah. mean? Like They have depth as far as serviceable rotation players goes. But when it comes to, like, actually having the kind of talent that can uh, make you a competitor in the Western Conference, it's, like, even beyond Lillard. Like, Lillard's been awesome, and, yeah. and McCollum's been good, but he's, he's like, plateaued, right? He's, he's not getting any better. He's been the same better. player for four years. That's and why I argued on this podcast. They should have traded him for Jimmy Butler. At least that changes the team. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, whether that deal would have been on the table, I don't know. Yeah, it but, probably wasn't. Um I, I don't know. I got jazzed up just because it seemed like this was another team, kind of like the Raptors were last year, that mm-hmm. had rolled back the same core, yeah. but had kind of changed its identity a bit. Yeah. And now it's starting to look like it's just the same team again, um, which yeah. sucks. Like, I, I like this suck. team, and, and when they play well, they look awesome. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, the last few games, they've been mired in a bit of a malaise and uh, have reverted to some of their old habits. So, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, but But I just – I do think, like – Sometime during the midseason, uh, like they're going to kick it into high gear again and go on a bit of a run to get back into the mix. Mm. Um, yeah, but right now they're not playing great ball. Okay, and then lastly, let's uh, end the show by telling them on the Rockets. They are 2-5 and five since that little five-game win streak for cutting Mello. Which, by the way, what's Mello doing? 
he, he's still with the team technically. Like, are they going to trade him? Is See, that what he's, he's, he's working out in an, in an empty gym, man? That's sad. He's, he's man. just off season. He's just hoodie mellow again. Like, yeah. If you yeah, wow. The uh, mellow. It's the it's, mellow it's, we it's need. The, what was the Batman line? He's not the hero we need. He's the hero we deserve. Or it's like the other way around. He's not the mellow you need. It's yeah. the mellow you deserve. Yeah, honestly, that's that's kind of where it's at with the Rockets. They're still 25th in defensive rating, all right? So, scapegoating Melo and everything like that, he wasn't the only issue. He was not helping them by any means, but he's not the only issue. And when you really look at it, it's just come down to a very disappointing year for Chris Paul. And we, on this podcast, we all support Chris Paul. We all acknowledge the fact that he's one of the best pointers of all time. But since he signed that deal, he just hasn't looked that great. He missed three of the games during this little mini funk where they lost all three of them. And they came back and they won two of them. But, I mean, like... He just hasn't been himself. When you look at his numbers, it's just not the same Chris Paul. Like, it's disappointing. He's averaging 16.6 points per game. Um, You know, he's only shooting 42% from the field and 35% from three. His one-on-one play is not as good as it was before. And he's just just not really a threat driving to the basket anymore. And that's got to be a concern for the, the Rockets because, man, they signed Chris Paul to a massive deal. And some people said... That Chris Paul was going to be a regression candidate, and that person was Joe Wolfon. So, Joe, how, how much do you feel vindicated? Um, I mean, I don't want to take a victory lab when it's like a guy's career that is seemingly <laughs> trending in the Just wrong direction. It, but, you know, Chris Paul is one of these undersized point guards who's 33 years old. You know, maybe he needs to go talk to J.J. Barea and figure out what he's doing. Because, <laughs> like, <laughs> Yo, oh. slow clap. Slow you don't want to take a victory lap. Bringing that full circle. Telling Chris Paul to consult J.J. Barea. <laughs> man. Um, but, man, I, I think... Chris Paul's going to punch you below the belt. <laughs> there were some concerning indicators last season. You know, the fact that he yeah. like his free throw rate was, was falling off a cliff and he wasn't getting to the rim as much and had just become kind of increasingly reliant on on his outside jumper. And obviously the passing is always going to be there. Um, the ball handling is always going to be there. That's not a concern. But like the fact that he can't really beat guys off the dribble uh, to the same extent anymore, um, and the fact that you know he hasn't really been shooting the ball as well, has, has combined to make him uh, you know not nearly as effective player. Uh, he's, still yeah. been, he's still been good you know, by any average player's standards, but by his own standards, it's been like, Maybe the worst season that he's ever had. He's not even a top five point guard right now. That's really sad to say about Chris Paul, but it's true right now. Yeah. He's not close. And I don't know. So maybe he's, he's still compromised physically, and that will change as the season goes along. But uh, he hasn't looked like the kind of player who's just like ready to break out of a funk or anything like that. Like He has looked like a player whose best days are behind him. Yeah. And the thing is, too, I think... Especially when they went on that little run a couple weeks ago. Remember, they started reeling off wins and they like yeah, climbed yeah. back above 500. It seemed like, all right, they figured it out. Mello was gone. Uh, Jeff Pacelic yeah. was back. I'm like, okay, they're going to – maybe they won't get the one seed again, but they're mm-hmm. going to start cruising. Like, I'm getting to a point where I'm actually legitimately concerned about this team. Maybe not necessarily as a playoff team, but as anything more than that. Like, we're a third of the way through the season now. We're just about – they're they're still under 500. Will you mentioned they still have like a bottom five, bottom six defense. Yeah. Um, the Western Conference playoff race looks even for the West standards this year looks insane. We're like it's yeah. a legit 14 team race. They cannot afford to wait any longer. And if like if this is just who Chris Paul is now, I, like I'd be concerned about this team even making the playoffs, man. Because the West is too good for like Harden, mm-hmm. half of Chris Paul and Capella to just like. That team's not doing it for you. Here's my hot take. John Wall for Chris Paul. Wow. Wow. <laughs> no, it's never going to happen. It's so never going to happen. The Rockets definitely don't about. do that. 
The Wizards. The Wizards would do that. The Wizards would do that. I still don't think that makes the Rockets any better. No, but I don't know, man. Yo, Jawal's turning around, man. Jawal's playing. Come but on. he still can't play off the ball. Like Paul can yeah. at least play off ball. You know, like it, him and Harden can still complement each other. They just they have so little depth that like they need Paul to be as good as he was last year, and it, it just doesn't seem like he's going to get back there. I mean, who the hell knows, right? We're a quarter of the way through the season, mm-hmm. so um, a lot still to be determined. But uh, they they just need more bodies, frankly. Yeah, they do. They do. And they also need just honestly they need better defense. Capella has also been a bit disappointed on that end. He's not rebounding as well. The whole team just as a whole looks a little bit more sluggish and less motivated. That trade would get Grunfeld an extension though. Oh, are you kidding me? To get <laughs> gotta, future Hall of Famer Chris Paul, gotta uh, get that line in every podcast. Yeah, there you go. All right, uh, we're running up against the clock, so we got to end the podcast here. Uh, thanks to both Cash and Wolfon, and uh, we're signing out. Pound the rock. 